Welcome back to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Hey, you know what? We practice what we preach. We are stable. We are consistent. We keep showing up to give the people what they want because you know why? It's a lot of fun to do that. It is. It's a blast showing up, getting to talk to you about track, running, cross country, all coaching, everything that we care about. And you know, it's a new year. You're probably thinking, hmm, did I make some resolutions? Did I have some goals? Should I change some things? If you're a coach or athlete listening, we got one way to up your game. And I feel pretty confident saying it'll up your game because we have so many courses that are available in the Scholar program. We have so much more good stuff coming. We're always evolving, you know, always adding stuff. We're just finishing up the biomechanics course based on Tom Telez's work, um, which actually I'll be seeing him in uh, in a couple a couple weeks here. So. The 90-year-old, I might try and pick his brain for for some special content um, at 90, still coaching junior high kids at the local local track. <laughs> coach has got a coach. So that, but that's what we're all about at the Scholar Program. We're about coaches like that who just want to keep doing it and want to want to seek mastery which is often just coaching people up so if you're interested in the new year checking that out head on over check out the scholar program we got lots of good stuff coming yeah i was reminded of the value of immersion in your craft and in your discipline uh talking with my wife and a couple other of her cohorts in physical therapy over uh, this past kind of winter break period and you know they all said the same thing you go to school you take a clinic you take a course right and you get this information download from the textbook or the curriculum and it doesn't really prepare you for applying it in the real world what apply what actually makes you a good like physical therapist or coach or psychologist is the immersion in the continuing education pathway with your cohort or peers, that continual check-in, that continual like, hey, let's talk about this. And traditionally, that's only happened at, say, coaches conventions that might, you know, be once or twice a year, right? When we're actually not a track meet or cross-country meet, worrying about our athletes' performance or managing um, that, that day. And that's the beauty of the scholar program and also the clubhouse, right, on the server we created is you get that immersion experience at your fingertips whenever you want. And you get to see what other conversations are productive are happening, not kind of the, you know, non-productive conversations that might happen on other message boards out in the ether uh, in the landscape here. But this immersion really is what allows you kind of drip by drip slowly and surely to like level yourself up as well as like recalibrate and reorient and, you know, spur you to try new things. Like I had one scholar who messaged me the other day saying, okay, hey, I'm going to try kind of like a stable gains approach with, you know, shorter micro cycles, three day, four day cycles with uh, kind of a, a flux training paradigm for my middle distance runners during this buildup into um, outdoor track season. He said, hey, here's, here's my pattern of training. What do you think? I was like, this is great. Here's the only, you know, type of um, 
a revision I would make, small little tweak, but amazing. Like, you know, he downloaded all the information. He viewed all the material and conversations surrounding it. And now he's doing what you should be doing, which is experimenting and trying it out on yourself or, you know, those athletes you work with. That is what it's all about. That's actually how we learn best, not a tour de force, two-day course, download like that. That's a good introduction and a springboard for it. But invest in yourself because the better you are, the better you will be at your craft, the better your results, your um, athletes will get, and the more sustainable and more effective overall your pathway in this coaching journey will be. Love it. I think that's spot on. So check it out if you haven't. Invest in yourself. Like John said, you, you won't regret it. All right, let's go into today's episode, defining the win, how to stay on track, have success, and have fun doing it. I'm excited about this one. Um, and and, and I, to, to start it off, I want to tell two stories real quick. One is, well, kind of one setting the stage, which is we've all been in that spot where, you know, we had an athlete who just competed and you watch them race and you're thinking, oh, that was great. Like they did a good job. Maybe they PR'd or competed well or did something. And you you walk off the track as the coach thinking like, oh, that was pretty good. Then you get up to the athlete and their face is just glum. They're disappointed. They're upset. And for a split second, you're a little confused there because you're like, yeah, I thought that was good. Like we should be happy with that one. But they're obviously not. And what we what we have there is a disconnect. We have different ways in which you, the coach, and the athlete are defining the win, defining success. You know, maybe they said, maybe they defined it as I I wanted to PR right? And I didn't run my PR. And maybe you defined it as I wanted you to compete well or compete in XYZ or go for the win or or whatever have you. And I, I think that's always been a reminder to me when I've experienced that is, oh, like step one is we have to get on the same page with what we're defining successful between athlete and coach, right? How are we kind of judging or grading this, this effort? What is the aligned goal? Because if not, you're often kind of setting yourself up for different expectations and, you know, different experiences and, and, and uh, different targets. So that's, that's number one. I'm sure we've all had that experience, but I think more so than athlete coach, if you're a coach listening to this, if you're a teacher, if you're, you know, someone who's in charge of something, I think we have to take that and look at look at it and turn that upon ourselves. Another example I'll give is when I was a college coach at Houston is I remember as a you know as a staff like there was a period where we went on a run where we got second or third at national championships indoors and outdoors and I remember building up to that, we were just thinking, okay, how do we how do we get on the podium? How do we win a national championship? That was the focus, right? We're all about it. Going, going at it. Everything's geared towards the national national championship. How do we put the pieces in the line? Well, that first year, you know, we fall a little short, but we get third, which was huge. Like third for at that time, a non-power five mid-major school. You know, um, to be in the mix competing was awesome. 
Okay. And we had athletes from all different event groups and did some great stuff. And for us as a staff, that was success. But then we went to, <laughs> we, we go back to the, the administrators who are bosses and who define things. And yeah, they were, they were excited. And like, they were like, yeah, let, that's great. Like, let's go for it. But I remember sitting down afterwards um, with actually, you know, well, uh, Carl Lewis and the rest of the staff and them saying, okay, we got third. Like, can we, can we talk about our, our um, contracts and salaries and, and raises? And we were essentially told no after getting third at the national championships. No, like, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. In fact, after we got third, we actually lost a coaching spot. So we went from six coaches down to five coaches. So we were one coach short after, after that. And I remember that experience was, again, it was kind of like that athlete coach where you're, you're kind of excited and the others has a different approach. And what it made me realize is that, oh, we're defining our jobs in a, in, in a different way. We are, we are track and field. Yes, they want us to have success and like the exposure and all that stuff. But the reality is if you're an administrator at a, at a mid-major school trying to make the Power Five, what matters most, obviously, is football and basketball. And yeah, the other sports, you want them to win, but you want them to really, if we did dive deep in, into it, do good enough. Not spend too much money so that it takes away from the money that goes to you know football and basketball, and don't cause any problems. And I, I'm I'm like being real and honest here because I think too often what we do is we forget, like we have to understand how different people define, like our jobs, our roles, success, and that doesn't mean that me or the rest of the staff needed to adopt, hey, we're going to adopt that administrator's like view of our sport. But we have to be able to acknowledge it and to work it into our framework a little bit to understand that like, okay, the people who decide if we get hired, stay on, renew our contracts, the direction overall of this organization, like this is what they value. Might not be what we want to value, but this is what they value. We have to hold that on one end while also acknowledging like what we value and what we do. And the reason I tell that story is, again, I think for us as coaches, or if you work for some organization or company, is too often we have mixed and we don't get clarity on what it means to win, (laughs) And when we don't, when, when we have that disconnect, it sets you up not too dissimilar from that athlete coach. It sets you up for confusion. It sets you up for, you know, mixed or negative feelings. It sets you up for perhaps losing your motivation because, again, the target wasn't the target that you thought it was. So I think, you know, to set the stage for this conversation, it's really about finding and having that clarity so you can navigate it in whatever realm you're in. Yeah, those are those are two impactful and awesome stories and powerful stories, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I mean, it it is that that truth, right? I think a lot of times what happens is we in our society and sport 
the narrative for what a win is, especially in track and field and cross country and running in general, gets hijacked by the media, right? And so, and whether it be in the context of our own sport or kind of influenced by, say, the primetime big money sports like football and basketball here in the U.S. or soccer internationally, uh, we then think, oh, we need to mimic those types of sports uh, postures, attitudes, uh, and outlooks. And that's just not the case, right? It's There's a lot of ways to win in sport. And it's understanding, first and foremost, like say in a scholastic environment, what sport is for. Uh, you know, primarily it's a, a vehicle for upward mobility for a lot of young boys and girls and men and women to kind of help them uh, springboard their life and trajectory to the next level where it's going from high school to college or setting up with good habits in college that makes them to be a successful employer or employee uh, once they graduate, right? And then two, for people you're working with, um, maybe in the context of post-collegiates or club or open or master's athletes, primarily like at the end of the day, right? One of the great things about running is it makes you just healthier, right? A consistent running habit, whether it's through the context of training for a marathon, half marathon, or something that's, hey, I want to compete at a high level, like a national championship or Olympic trials. Ultimately, the foundation of that is health, right? And we know that health is wealth, especially in this day and age uh, where, you know, healthcare costs are exorbitant, rising, and also care itself can be sometimes difficult to get. So anything we can do to create an environment where we have a healthier populace as coaches, we're actually fulfilling a very important mission objective. Now, that's not going to get you press on social media. That's not going to get you press in the, you know, archetypes of mainstream running media, you know, the runner's world, the um, women's running, et cetera, uh, type um, articles and sites and message boards. So, it's all, but runners and distance runners and distance running coaches, we've always been kind of quote unquote weird, weird birds or strange ducks, so to speak, right? We've always kind of lived life beating to our own drum. And so we have to be able to take a step back and go, look, empower yourself and empower your athletes to define multiple wins. And, my, and we're not just talking about goals, right? Goals where we have, okay, we've achieved this outcome and, you know, plant our flag in the ground and say, job well done. It's saying understanding like the process of winning is a long, longitudinal committed process where we are in it for the long haul. And you can't win overnight. You can't win in one season. You know, as talking with Jerry Schumacher uh, the other day, we were, you know, doing a little coach's walk up here um, for a couple hours. And, you know, we we're talking about just how it takes two years, even if you're a high school superstar, to transition well into college. And we talked about, you know, the NCAA cross country championships this last fall, right? L- if we step back and get clarity on that, look at the results. There was one, one American male in the top 100 at the NCAA cross country championships, who was a true freshman, one. There were uh, about, I believe, four who were sophomores, five who were juniors. So out of the top 100 American men competing at the NCAA cross country championships, 10 were not seniors or fifth year seniors. 10. 10 out of 100. So if you were going to come in and say, I'm going to shock the world, I'm going to like do something wild and crazy, you know, as a, a freshman, a hotshot freshman, right, or even just a walk-on freshman, 
and you think, oh, I'm going to get to NCAs here, lickety split at, in, in cross country. No way. Like you, we were contrasting like how tough that demand and ask is where you're running a very hard 10K uh, in your regional meet, right? And then eight day leaders running an even harder 10K all out in the national championship meet. I mean, when we, he and I are coaching professionals, when someone runs a hard 10K, like we take at least a month away from running another or considering running another hard 10K. I mean, you know, when I was coaching women on the track to qualify the Olympic trials or, you know, get the Olympic A standard, it's like, okay, you got this one shot to run a 10K. And if it doesn't happen, we got another shot a month down the road. And then that's it. You got two shots because then we run out of time. We can't ask you to run a 10K two weeks before the Olympic trials because then you go to Olympic trials and just be completely shot. Now we're asking like college men to do this, right? So it's just remembering like development takes time and the quote unquote win or outcome is going to take a lot of investment and understanding uh, to see that come to fruition. And we sometimes, I think, forget that in our fast track culture, instant gratification culture, like quick, quick, quick microwave success narrative that the media keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And we as coaches and athletes need to like fight back and reject the hell of it because it's just not realistic. Yeah. I'm loved that you brought that up, especially the stats on NCAAs. That's kind of astonishing, especially if you consider again, super shoes or not, but like in the last several years, we've had like this, deluge of crazy times in high school like you could argue it's uh one of the most competitive high school um you know years couple of years in terms of times with you know several many guys sub four in the sub four in the mile many guys you know 830s 840s in uh in the two miles um you know many guys or several guys who are sub 14 in the the 5k things that we used to not see and then you see how long it takes to transition uh (laughs) which is saying something and i think what that all gets 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 across is again there's this disconnect sometimes between expectations and reality and when we say defining the wind step one is to define like what those expectations are and define you know what the path forward looks like and what we're incentivizing rewarding etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think too often what happens is we kind of we kind of assume and i think as coaches this happens as again on both sides of the equation if we're you know i remember when i first got into coaching as an athlete, I was a certain way. I was the type who was, again, going to run a crazy amount. John and I were kind of the same and that we were going to get up and do the morning double in high school, like just because like we realized that's what it took. That's what we needed to do. And then you get into coaching and you assume everyone has the same kind of mindset and mentality. And it's, it's, not the case you have to adjust you have to realize that like different people did bring different things to the table and that's okay but you you can't just say oh this is how i thought about you know competing and success and and making it like why don't you do this you have to you have to get the get understand where they're coming from and get them on the right track and then i think as coaches as well one of the things that we do very poorly is to find what we're what we're trying to get after, what our our win is for our program. Is it 
Is it graduating kids? Is it getting them involved in the sport and becoming like lifelong runners or purveyors of, of good health and habits? Like it's, is it winning a championship? Is it making it professionally? And you can have multiple of these different avenues, but I think too often we, we don't ask the question and we just assume. And another example that I think is great, which is, um, the uh, the former York coach Joe Newton, right? I remember growing up, he got when I was getting into coaching, at, especially at the high school level. Joe Newton would get a lot of backlash from people, and he'd have this debate because people would say, "Ah, you're you're running your kids so much, they have nothing left in college," and Joe Newton would say, "That's not my job." College is not my job. <laughs> he would say, my job is to get, like, get essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, but get the best ones to get a scholarship so that they can go to college. And and, and that's, and again, that was for the best kids. For the other kids, he had the goal of get a ton of people out and get them engaged in the sport and being on a team and, like, part of something where they're striving, knowing that they're not going to get to college or whatever and, and sport and can keep continuing. And there would be a lot of backlash and a lot of debate on like, oh, well, is it the high school coach's job to get everything out of them in high school to set them up or is it to hold them back? And and um I think what it what it got out of is that like you've got to have clarity on the on the path that you're choosing. And again, the path that you're choosing can vary from individual to individual. You know, some athletes, sure, you might want to hold them back. Some athletes, you might want to say, hey, I'm going to try and get a little more out of this kid because, like, they might not have the talent to get there without running 90 miles a week or whatever whatever your your intensity of program of choice is. But I think too often we, we kind of, we just assume, ah, our goal is to win things or, you know, see how fast we can get them in this short period of time. And and what I always appreciated, though I would disagree on some of the things, what I appreciated in that Joe Newton debate is like, he was very clear on what he was trying to do in his program and with his athletes from the ones who barely could jog the three miles, all the ones up to the ones who had the potential to compete in college or compete on a high level. Exactly. Yeah. Clarity is power. I cannot stress that enough. And it takes some time and reflection to kind of understand, you know, what your quote unquote why is, if you want to think in those terms or what drives you. But the uh, the reality with clarity is you also define not only what you are about, but also defining what you're not about. Right. And it's not that you're not about certain things all the time. There's just certain checkpoints and thresholds that need to be met before you can make the leap to the next level. Think of the next logical step, right, in this regard. So, a lot of times, right, what happens is we have there's wild expectations that people go out in high school, their senior year, and they have an amazing year and, you know, they set records or win things. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then you see all this chatter about, what are they going to do next year, freshman year in college? Like, you know, like there's this linear continuation, right? But the reality is when you move from, say, high school to college or when you move from college to post-collegiate or 
you know, any type of big transition, you move somewhere else, you're in a new environment, you have a new routine, you have new uh, facilities, people you're interacting with, new expectations. It takes time to recalibrate. And that recalibration period tends to be about two years, right? And that's tempering those expectations that might be, you know, a little bit um, more juvenile or misguided in, you know, young people or people in general, you know, from the social zeitgeist to saying, hey, the whole goal of year one, right, is to compete in a new environment, a new situation, get quote unquote, a lay of the land. Just understand, here's what the level of competition looks like. Here's the rhythm of competition, you know, moving from high school to college or college to post-collegiate, you know, there's a big step in independence that happens. You're pretty, you're a lot more independent in college. You're very independent post-collegially, right? So a lot of times your coach isn't even going to be at the meet you're competing at post-collegially. It's like, Hey, yeah, you go, let me know how it is. You're on your own type situation. And that uh, can be very tough sometimes when you're used to having the, you know, um, anchors of your support network in the sport right there in your corner at every race. Because again, travel budgets just aren't the same for the post-collegiate coach as they are for the collegiate coach or the high school coach, right? So we can't ever forget that success or winning is contextualized and dependent on the environment and also the transition into environments and the stability of the athlete within the environment. And stability takes time. I mean, that's, that's the hardest thing to hear, right? It's, it's kind of, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs on the previous podcast. And it's just remembering, right? The foundation is stability. You have to be stable in life. If you're not stable in life, you can't be consistent. And then if you can't be consistent, you can't be successful. It's just unrealistic to assume and make those leaps and saying, oh, I can be, you know, very successful or win or you know, get to a heightened space of self-actualization without consistency, which is dependent on stability. And that's why we talk about success being boring, but it's really key that we come back and recalibrate that because there's a lot of forces at play, a lot of distraction, um, you know, machinery out there to kind of make you think, oh, I need this gel or I need this shoe or I need this piece of tech or I need this garment or I need this, you know, recovery aid or device or gadget, right? I need all these things to get good when it's like, whoa, 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 have you gotten consistent eight hours sleep a night every night for the last three weeks to four weeks, going to bed roughly at the same hour, waking up roughly at the same time, plus or minus 30 minutes? No, but I spent two grand on like these uh, compression garments and, you know, recovery aids and, uh, and percussion tools and these super shoes. And it's like, okay, take a step back. Let's, you know, get back to basics. And defining that win is where we have those realistic expectations and also paint that pathway forward for the athletes so they understand these daily habits and actions and choices are the foundation for actually being successful in the arena when they, you know, lace up their spikes or flats and go out and, you know, compete. I I think you hit the nail on the head with painting that path. And we might not know exactly where that path is going, but you have to realize that, you know, think back to yourself as as an athlete when you're younger is that you likely had some coach or mentor or older teammate who kind of showed you the ropes on like what mattered, 
right? And especially for our generation, John, like we didn't, we couldn't go on the internet really and find everything that mattered. We had to rely on kind of the tradition or someone else to teach us and, and learn. And that's how it, you know, in every craft had been for millennia is, is how you get better at something. You have that mentor who teaches and shows you the path. I think as coaches, like with so many signals out there, as you said, like part of defining the win is like painting the possible or the, the path that is most, most likely or the path that like will, will get you down that road. Um, the reason that's, that's so imperative right now is again, because like there's so many things that, that pull us off. And I think in addition to that, we have so much research that shows up. One of the problems that we have in transitioning, as you mentioned, from kind of oblivious but good to like good and we know we're good is that the more good and we know we're good, the more we get pulled to these extrinsic drivers, the things, the devices, the junk we can buy, the accolades, trophies, etc. And the more that we get pulled to that, it actually dampens down and uh, yeah, dampens down our intrinsic, intrinsic drivers. So the things that got us involved in the sport in the first place, the kind of joy, pursuit of excellence, seeing how good we can be, exploring our limits, those kinds of things. So it's it's kind of our job as a coach to say, hey, like, I see you all these other things that are shiny and, and kind of matter and might look like success if we chase them. But the reality is over here is what actually matters. And I think that also, again, it applies to us as coaches. Like it's very easy in this game to get single-minded and focused and be like, you know what, John, the only thing that matters is if I get this athlete to uh, to run you know, X time. If I've done that, then, then I, I'm a success. I, I, I can coach, but that's that again, that mindset, if you take it far enough, can go down this win at all cost approach. It can, it can push you to start taking shortcuts to get to that point because you've defined that as the only thing that matters. And we're not saying again that wins or competing or whatever don't matter. Of course they do. Like what this is part of it is teaching people how to compete. But it also means like holding these other definitions of success um, at the same time as acknowledging that competition is important. Yeah, it's I think it's really important too as coaches. We take a step back and just kind of understand that it is not a linear process right you you as a coach you don't always win you have you can have streaks and periods right where you can enjoy a lot of success you know your teams achieve a lot your athletes achieve a lot uh you know and the outcomes are very favorable but as i we record this podcast right the san antonio spurs sit dead last in the western conference in the nba five wins 29 losses dead last and the Golden State Warriors sit at 11th, right? Um, 16 wins, 18 losses, a losing record. Two coaches, right? Steve Kerr, Grave Kofovich, who in the last several years or last decade were like, 
esteemed as the guys who figured it all out, right? They have losing teams. Bill Belichick at the you know New England Patriots, his job security is questioned, right? Losing record for the, the New England Patriots. These guys, right, who we esteem for many decades as the epitome of professional coaching in America, now it's being called into question, do they still got it? I mean, there's nothing has changed about these guys, <laughs> these coaches and the way they conduct themselves or process what they're striving for, what they're trying to do. It's not like all of a sudden like, oh, I'm just going to collect all, all three of these guys that I'm just going to show up and not give a shit and collect a check. No, no, no. It's it's the context change, right? The dynamics and the environment of the guys on the roster changed. The um, the league itself, right, that they find themselves in, that shifted. Like there's a lot of things that are outside their control that they were not the beneficiaries of in the last several years that have put their in their teams in the positions they find themselves. But you know what? They, I love their attitude, right? They keep showing up and doing their job. They keep showing up and doing it the same way they've always done, which they know is a successful way. But it's true. It's understanding like sometimes you have to kind of pull out all the um, foliage and all the roots out of the garden and then plant new seeds. And those new seeds take time to grow. And so as coaches we got to understand it just because someone's having success at the moment doesn't mean they're always going to have it. And just because you might be in a situation yourself, like I'm at at Portland state, right? Where we're literally restarting a program from bare bones, scratch and bottom. And it's super tough, right? From the competitive side of me to be like, all right, well, we got to just sit here and focus on the foundational elements and have this be like a year zero, you know, but really get the most and maximize the competitive bandwidth and opportunities and motivation of the student athletes we do have on the roster, really coach the heck out of them and bring the same attitude we would we would with everyone we have inherited as well as, um, you know, we would with if we had just stacked roster of all Americans after all Americans. You know, that's what real professionals do. And that's a really good exercise and really good thing to remind ourselves of, too, that that job as coach, right, is to be consistent, is to be stable, is to deliver that message to the athletes to say, hey, here's how we win and keep winning, even when the uh, results and even when the outcome and even when the marks aren't there or the W's across the finish line aren't there. But here's the, you know, the process to trust. And that can be really hard sometimes to say, because again, we humans are, we like gratification, we like instant gratification, but we know that the hallmark of really successful people at every level and every discipline, whether it's academics, athletics, business, whatever, is delayed gratification. So it really tests your bandwidth um, and your commitment to that when you get in these trying times is not just you might be experiencing or had experience or as these other like really esteemed, highly um, successful uh, professional coaches I mentioned are experiencing. You know, I, that's such a good example and one I hadn't thought of, but yeah, you look at how Popovich and Kerr um, are doing right now and given their, their uh, history, it's, you know, from a wins and losses point, it's, it's, it's not that good. But we don't we don't say ah, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, they can't coach anymore. They've they can't, they don't have it figured out. They're they're done for. They're bad coaches, etc. 
No, we, we, we don't because like we take the totality into consideration when we realize like, <laughs> again, like the short term versus lo- long term, especially with the Spurs, right? They have the, this young superstar Wimby and, you know, Popovich probably taking the long-term view of like, Hey, I've got to coach this person up. And I will say I've been fortunate to do some consulting work with some NBA teams. And I remember years ago uh, with one team who had a young superstar and, and um, you know, one of the people on the team, you know, we had a discussion on like, Hey, like this person could be great. Like right now, but I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about where they are like three years from now, you know, five years from now, because like I need them to be really uh, like leaders and great teammates, you know, support, et cetera, at that point. Like that's our window. And I, I think, again, that gets back to kind of defining the win, but also understanding like the, the game that you're playing and understanding like, what are the rules of the game you're playing? What are the paths that you need to take down to to kind of master that whatever game that is? And that's the truth of the matter, right? Is we are entering increasingly competitive times, uh, you know, in all fronts of life. And the the thing that we're going to have to remind the any athlete we work with, young or old, is that development takes time. And getting yourself to a place where you can be highly competitive takes time. It's not an overnight snap of their fingers as much as we wish it was. And that's the hard part is getting that buy-in from people and saying, hey, look, if everything goes really, really well, this might be like a two-year process. Now, you may be listening to this and go, hey, that's great. I coach high schoolers. I get you know someone out senior year. And they have some talent and I need, I got three months to coach them up and hopefully maybe qualify them to state so they can run fast and maybe help our team score some points. Sure. I mean, that's a, that's a paradigm uh, or that's a paradigm that a lot of people face, but you take the context lens of a classroom, right? This person might be only taking this class for this period of time, but you want to maximize in the bandwidth you have and the time period you have their enjoyment and fulfillment and the lessons learned in that classroom. And that's the hallmark of what sport has to teach us is not just about outcome, but also to teach us and give us a different dimension to explore our human humanity, explore our human um, um, emotions and, you know, uh, psychology and just state of being and how we respond and develop that, you know, what I call that human element. We often forget that that part is a big big, 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 an important lesson and opportunity in sport and in athletics and in something like track and cross country and distance running that in this day and age we forget about, but it was really foundational to set you up to be a really high functioning, uh, stable functioning human being in all facets of one's life in the the future, right? As a, a spouse, as a parent, as, you know, a, uh, a family member in general, as you know, an employee or employer, and what have you, like it. Don't let's not forget that that is a vital component as well. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Is it's, it's again considering it holistically, and I think this was really important for coaches to understand because again, we're susceptible to this as much as anybody, as much as our athletes. Like we can get lost chasing 
you know, the the thing that is shiny in front of us and playing the short-term game and not the long-term game. We can get lost focusing on like, oh, all that matters at the high school level is like winning the state championship, forgetting that we're working with, you know, 14 to 18-year-old kids, right? We can get lost at the college level thinking that, you know, if I win this conference championship, this national championship, get this trophy, like it's 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 going to catapult my career or make me satisfied or whatever have you. Um, when again, maybe that's part of it, but part of it is also like we're developing young people and graduating kids who are in college or young adults who are in college and trying to get degrees and we should treat that differently knowing that you know maybe this kid who's underperforming a little bit you know if we take away their scholarship they might not get a college degree and that's going to impact them for the rest of your life like those are the things that you have to weigh and i again having been part of a college program at a high level i remember having those conversations with um who i i, I can't give enough uh, credit to Leroy Burrell because he, we were trying to win, but at the same time, I remember these these conversations on on yeah, this kid you know isn't performing or struggled in the class or did did X Y and Z that you know would actually give us uh, the ability to take away a little scholarship, but then he'd be like, if we take this kid's scholarship away, like you know they're from X Y Z place and don't have like the resources like this kid's gonna drop out of school (laughs) like you know we gotta bite the bullet here even if this quote-unquote hurts our overall performance and those are the tricky things you have to deal with in the in the real world um that aren't again singular dimensional on like win or go home a win means like winning the thing and and if not we lost yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because it it demonstrates right how sometimes we we have this singular. We listen to you know these uninformed voices out in the media that will talk about it, or even like say maybe with recruiting services, right, for the high school athlete that have a very singular point of view about how to get a scholarship, and they're like, here, give us money, and we'll get you an athletic scholarship. Or people ask me, okay, coach, what 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 mark do I need to run to get? to get a scholarship. And it is much more contextualized than that, right? It's very, like, I have a very simple philosophy about that. It's you want to be on time, work hard, and be positive. And the way I look at that is like, okay, what was your attendance? Did you come to practice? Did you come to meets punctually, day in and day out, week in and week out? Is that who you are, because that's that's a really important foundational component of being a highly functioning adult in society is showing up, right? We call it showing up, but showing up on to work on time, showing up, you know, saying you're going to be somewhere and actually following through with that. Very important. Then two, right, is did you work hard and were you striving for? Did you put the work in? Not only on the track, not only in the weight room. But also, did you put work in academically? Did you put the study hall hours in? If you're struggling, you know, in a class, were you asking for help from, you know, the professor or a graduate assistant? Or were you trying to get mentorship or tutoring, right? Did you work hard? Did you actually try to make that C a B or B and A? And then be positive, right? 
were you positive about the process? Were you positive and say, okay, look, I took a defeat or man, I didn't get a PR today. And instead of like pointing and blaming people and saying, oh, it's the training fault. It's the fault of the training. It's the fault of this. It's the fault of this boohoo and not taking ownership for, you know, maybe that unfavorable outcome saying, hey, look, what did I learn? How do I get better? What do I need to do to improve? And can I make strides forward? So, and then all that then factors in globally to your performance, right? Can you achieve a performance uh, that is at a certain standard of excellence? We, right, for Portland State, you know, our mission is very simple. We rest and we participate in the Big Skies Conference in the, you know, NCAA Division One. That kind of casts the die for the standard of excellence and standard of competitiveness that we all aspire to and have to aspire to on this um, for student athletes on this roster. And if you look at it, right, I, I call it the different tiers. You have tier five, which is kind of everyone who is on the team, you know, and competitive within a, like a regional level or up and down the I-5 corridor, right? We can go to track meets with division two, II, division three, NAI, other division one schools. And, you know, you can be competitive in a local arena and that has some value and, um, uh, of, for the student athletes development and also for the programs. But then two, you go tier four, that's one step up, right? That's like the competitiveness in your event at the big sky level, which ha- is pretty, um, pretty solid right across the board. And that's a, a little bit of a step up. And we define that competitiveness as being top 15 in the event uh, in your event group at the conference level. Then you take a step up from that, right? Okay, tier four to tier three. Tier three, right, is going to be the NCA West region level. What's the top 48 mark in the NCA West in your event? That's a higher standard. That's a higher um, calibration and, um, you know, uh, eleva- elevation to aspire to of excellence. And it's tougher and it requires more work and more time and more energy. Tier two is then being a national caliber athlete, right? Making NCAs, which is obviously very difficult. And then the top is like being a, you know, Olympic trials, US championship, international world-class athlete. And again, really, really tough. So we define success, right? As we have a lot of tier five athletes and you will always have that, you know, walk on freshmen, you know, people who are developmental. And then our job is to help and aid and guide and provide coaching and direction for these student athletes as best we can to move up a tier. Like, all right, it may take one season. It may take three seasons. That's okay. But if you go from tier five to tier four, oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's amazing. If you come in at tier four and you move up to tier three, great. If you move from tier five to tier three to tier two, whatever, fantastic. Like that's going to take time. But see, we set the stage so that everyone knows like, here's where I'm at, two feet in reality. What's the next logical step? How much work and time and energy is this going to take to get here? Am I, quote unquote, down with that time of investment to get there? And am I going to have fun and enjoy that process? All those things factor in contextually to whether you will be a scholarship athlete or continue to be a scholarship athlete, you know, in, say, my program. And I think it's very similar in a lot of other places as well. Don't want to speak for any coach uh, who has athletic aid out there. But I think, you know, if you look at it, we think about it holistically versus this, you know, one one dimensional singular, did you run a fast time and that's it once and okay, now you get scholarship because that's how a lot of people think and it's just the game's not that cut and dry um, in in reality. (laughs) 
you know, I'm glad you brought that up because it was the, it was the same it was the same at Houston, right? And again, we were a, a little bit different spot, competing at a high level on the track. Um, but it was it was the same. It was holistically. I mean, the best way to never get your scholarship cut <laughs> was to show up to every practice, like be a decent human being, be a good be a good teammate, right? And do the little things that that your coach was asking to, and most importantly, probably is like do well in class and academically, you know, um, do well well academically, and don't get in trouble and cause any problems. And even if your performance suffered a little bit, you'd still be on scholarship, right? Because it's like that holistic comparison. And I think again, the point here is at every level, it's so easy and tempting to narrow our definition of a win or success to one or two markers. You know, how fast did you run? Did you win this race, et cetera, et cetera. But what what we're getting at is there's this broader holistic experience that matters. And we need to define for your program, for yourself, for your athletes, like what actually does, what are we trying to do here? And if you get that clarity, good things happen. If you don't, then people are going to fill those spaces for you. They're going to fill those voids and make assumptions on what matters. And often, sometimes when it's too late, you'll look back and be like, oh, like they had a, they were chasing something different than what I wanted them to do. And I think when you see good teams, like they, they have this clarity around like what matters and what they're trying to do. Yeah, you don't want to, you know, 100%, Steve, like you don't want to advocate that control to an outside source that might not be in the arena with you. And it's so easy in this day and age to go with that singular point of view because it's a quick, easy soundbite. It's a quick, easy article to write. But I talk a lot about success and you to set yourself up for success, right? You have to not only make sure you have certain habits of action and things you do, but also certain habits of avoidance. What are you avoiding, right? So avoidance is important, especially in this day and age where we have a multiplicity of um, choice and opportunity at our fingertips. So it's pretty simple, right? If you want to be a really good track and field athlete, you should probably avoid smoking cigarettes. You should probably avoid hard drugs. You should probably avoid alcohol. And you should probably also avoid social media. And why do I say that? Well, if you look at the state of Ohio, right? The state of Ohio has put a law in place restricting social media usage for kids 16 years and under. Let's just think about that for a second, right? Is there a law in place in any state on restricting consumption of broccoli? No. Is there a law in place on consumption of consumption of oranges? No. These are really healthy things for a human body and in a human and a young person. So we're not going to restrict that consumption. But things that are not healthy for us, we have prohibitory laws in place that restrict consumption, alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, and now we're going to start to see social media. That's a really key telling um, uh, canary in a coal mine moment that shows us this um, thing does more harm than good. And we have to treat it as such. You have to now treat social media for, um, you know, 
not only young people, but also adults as well, in and put it in the exact same box as you would alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes, and saying this is a this is an agent that is probably more harmful than beneficial. So why even engage at all? Or if you do consume it, or if you do interact with it, have it be on a hyper occasion and in very small doses. Otherwise, you're, it's going to again corrode rather than you know elevate. Yeah, I think I think that's that's spot on. It's that that corrode versus elevate. I love that kind of kind of framing of of things, and you know that that kind of gets us at the point of this entire entire uh podcast we're doing here is it it really is defining all those things that matter defining you know what path you want to go down um the making sure that those expectations match up with your athletes making sure your expectations match up or are not or are understood for the job you're doing for the boss you have like the more clarity you have on those the more you're going to go down that path of like, okay, this is a path towards growth, expansion, development versus a path towards, you know, that might look shiny and nice now, but but corrodes over the long haul, haul because it, it looked shiny, but it wasn't the good stuff. It was the cheap stuff that is going to weather and, uh, and uh, you know, corrode. Yeah, it's it's temptation, right? It's like it's tempting, and the architects of all these, um, you know, corrosive instruments, whether it be social media, drug and alcohol, etc., uh, you know, they they purposely make it really attractive or associate with things that are really attractive to, you know, get how allow us to give into temptation, and in this day and age, as coaches, as teachers, you know, as um, people who are trying to support other humans journey in life in a positive way. We need to just have those conversations, uh, you know, on the front end rather than kind of in the middle or the back end of a season so that everyone's on the same page. And it takes time to, you know, digest all this, reflect on this and really define what a win is and what the wins are for yourself as a, as a coach for your athletes and also to just as a human being in life, you know, again, we call it, you know, defining your why, right? And the process is very simple for me. It's like, what in, you know, we cannot control results, we cannot control outcome, we can prepare towards, you know, competing towards certain outcomes or elevating ourselves to be in a condition to um, be able to maximize a moment and achieve that outcome, hopefully, and attain that goal. Yes, but we can't control it. Uh, it's a little bit more external like the weather. We can deal with things as they come. So the, the question is, when we talk about wins and winning, we have to define the contextually the human element that is sustainable. And that is going to be the bedrock of any successful program, whether you're Greg Popovich, who's, you know, making the NBA playoffs for 20 years in a row, right, until the streak's broken and winning NBA titles or making it to deep in the playoffs to now like, okay, gutter, second, you know, you know, uh, worst quote unquote NBA team in the NBA right now, like worse in the West Conference, like not really performing, right? It's uh, not getting the wins, so to speak. It's understanding like, how do you sustain yourself between those, you know, 
very, very high highs and very low lows in outcome. Because again, a lot can be out of your control. Ultimately, right, the runners run the race, the players play the game. We as coaches can't, you know, do it for them. So we have to say, well, okay, where are the markers of saying this is a very successful athlete trajectory uh, and um, athlete competitive life versus only defining by like, hey, I coach fast people who always do fast things. Look at me. And I think in this day and age too, telling more of the story of that athlete that had longitudinal improvement or longitudinal sustainable success for them is really important. That's what running's always been about, right? It's those those human interest stories of, hey, this person, you know, whether they're like a streaker or they ran, you know, did this like feat of strength or feat of endurance for these many weeks in a row or months in a row or years in a row or lost this type of weight or what have you, right? Those things are really important. And, you know, two high performance guys, Steve and myself, who have been there and done that, we understand like, yeah, and that part's really exciting too, as long as it's contextualized and sustainable and that person's happy and things are good in their life. But that also comes on the bedrock of not only creating really intelligent training programming, having that um, periodized really well and intelligently, using things like, you know, flux, um, you know, workouts or thresholds or, you know, VO2 or however you want to define it, right? talking about those nitty gritties, but also that the human side of it is considered as well to not only spur that engagement, but also then sustain it even in trying times. And that's, I think coaches in this day and age, we are going to be faced with a lot more trying times because the expectations for success from athletes are so uh, outsized in this day and age because we have access to this. And then also too, it's going to be one of those things where it's not only outsized those expectations of success, the timelines of it are so rapid that they expect to attain it. And they're going to be like, why didn't I get really fast and break the world record in three months, coach? And you're like, whoa, chill. It's <laughs> not how no, it works. It, I think you said it well, is the expectations because of social media society we live in, in comparison are going to be off the chain. So that's why it's even more important to set those appropriately as a coach, your job is that perspective uh, taker and that guider, that mentor that's showing the different paths that young people might not be able to see. And if you do that well, uh, you're going to have that happy, healthy, long-term success um, and have fun doing it versus if you take that short-term uh, approach and that approach where the expectations are narrowed into, you know, when, and this is all that matters. Yeah. And that's the hard part, right? Is people like attention and it's just coming yeah. to that reality. We love attention. That is because att attention signals importance. It's health. It's healthy to our ego. It signals value. It signals love. It signals all these things. And so the worst thing you can do is just ignore people. And we know this solitary confinement, right? that's you're just constantly you're ignored right you're in the, you're isolated we we need that healthy attention dynamic and the thing is as a coach right we want to give attention to 
the journey of the athlete and what they're doing, not just attention to their successes or traditional superficial successes. And so that's why it's really important, right, to keep up and saying, yeah, PRs are big for people. Hey, I saw you fight through a lot of adversity in this race. You didn't get a PR. Maybe you didn't get the place you wanted. But you know what? On that third lap, you know, I, I could see in your face you want to try to you wanted to give up and then you didn't, you kept pressing, you kept fighting. Like that's huge. Right. And that's where we as coaches got to be super sensitive to give it attention to the athlete's output, uh, not only in training, but also in the competitive crucible, crucible as best we can for the bandwidth we have so that we keep that engagement. We keep that enthusiasm. We keep that attention and we can keep, you know, shaping and molding and sculpting that win as being more than just solely the superficial outcome of, of place or time. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. There you go. So hopefully this has given you some food for thought on, on calibrating how you define winning success, both for yourself, your team and others around you. And if you do that, again, bring that clarity, good things are going to follow. So thanks everybody for listening Again, if you want to check out the Scholar Program in the new year to up your own game, it's a great time to do it. You can check it out. Find that on uh, Science of Running or any other site we have. And uh, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening and um, best of luck coaching in 2024.